Now, as we're, we're looking into these weeks leading up to Christmas, I mean, one of the things that we're seeing is that the Christmas story, on the one hand, is something we're all familiar with. You know, we, we've heard it since the time that we were children for many of us. In fact, if we were to go down to our kids' church, we would be able to ask them, and they would probably give us a, a pretty accurate telling of the story. They'd get most of the things right. They might get some of the details wrong, but, but actually, that might actually be the fun part. Sometimes it's the details where it's kind of get a little interesting. In fact, I ran across a little video, and it was from a church where they did just that. They went down to the kids' church, and they asked them to tell the, the Christmas story. And, uh, and I think the telling is, 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 is kind of fun to hear. So let me, let me share that with you. Once upon a time, there lived a girl named Mary, and an angel came to her one day and said, I'm having a baby. A baby? What kind of baby? Look like pumpkins. That's it? And frogs. Mary went to go tell Joseph, her husband, who she was marrying. I'm going to have a baby and he's going to be the son of God and I don't know what we're going to do about it. They traveled to Bethlehem to pay their taxes. And they probably didn't want to walk that far. They wanted a sports car. The rooms were full because it was Christmas Eve. They asked people, and they said there's nowhere to stay. She asked Joseph, where do we stay? I have no idea. They asked the, um, the innkeeper, do you have any rooms? He said, no, I don't, but you can sleep in the, um, you can sleep in the barn. She was like, I'm not staying there. Is that the only place we can go? <laughs> Stinky. They said, okay, and then the ba baby Jesus was born. The shepherds were out in the field. They take care of sheep. And it was Davis and his brothers and his dad, Jeffrey. No, wait, not Davis, Daniel. And then the angel showed, showed up and said um, that um, God's being born. And then they said, follow the star. Follow the brightest star, you'll see the ba you'll see baby Jesus. What else? Wise men were um, three kings from the east, and they saw this bright light, and it was when Jesus was born. They brought gifts to him: metal presents, gold, something and something. Gold. Um, and Frankenstein and bow. They look like metal. It's about Jesus. He wanted to love people and he wanted them to be happy. First he was a little baby and then his dog grew up to be a man. And then he was Jesus. He uh, made us and he loves us. He's God. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Christmas is Santa's birthday. Well, and it's fun to hear that, you know, and you look at that and you say, well, okay, they got most of it right and they didn't get all of it. But one of the questions is to ask, okay, do we have all of it? Do we have all the facts? Do we, do we know the story? Do we have an accurate telling of the story? Do we not only have the facts, more importantly, do we understand what they mean? 
Let me, let me ask you to do something. We tried something last week. I want to try it again this week, and it's a, a chance to do an interactive part of the message to kind of see where we're at kind of on, on some of these questions. And uh, what we're going to do is I'll, I'll give you some instructions. To participate in this, what you need to do is text the question uh, or text the word question to 330-644-6121. So just text the word question and then if you text that and send it, it will send you back a multiple uh, uh, choice question. And uh, the, the question it will send back is, why were Joseph and Mary forced to stay in and they give birth to Jesus in a stable? And there's going to be four choices. A, they couldn't afford a room at the inn. B, the census had already brought so many travelers that the inn was already full. C, Joseph's family had rejected him and kicked him out. And D, they were rejected as illegal immigrants. And uh, so, so if you text question, it will give you that question, and then you just respond back to the A, C, B, uh, you know, A, B, C, and D, and, and we'll come back later and see what, how people responded. Um, but I do recognize it's a very familiar story, and we're trying to look a little more deeply, and specifically, we're looking at the story from different perspectives, really from the different characters. And so last week, we looked at Mary and her perspective of the story. This week, we want to look at, at Joseph and specifically what it says about his story in, in Matthew 1. And, you know, we have to ask, have you ever really thought about it from Joseph's perspective? And, and I think if we have, you know, sometimes we kind of simplify it. We look at it and we say, well, here the angel came and it was this wonderful experience. And, you know, it, you know the, here you have this incredible blessing. They're going to be parents of the Messiah. And other than having a hard time finding a room once he got to Bethlehem, I mean, it was really an awesome scene. I mean, a baby's born, you celebrate that, you have angels, you have wise men, you have incredible gifts, wow. But if that's our perspective, I, I want to challenge you that maybe it's not 100% complete. I want to look at this, and what we're going to see is really what the Bible tells us, is that it wasn't all wonderful. It was actually, a, a, the story includes things that were very difficult and stressful and confusing. In fact, it starts with really a crisis, that when we pick up a story in Matthew chapter 1, what we find is that, is that Matthew really tells us the story of what happened before Bethlehem, before, uh, before the baby was born. Specifically, when Mary, when Luke chapter 1, we're told that an angel came to Mary and said that, okay, you're going you're to have a child. That's, you know, she said, I'm a virgin. She says, it's a miracle of God. It's a miracle of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and it's going to be the Son of God. Well, now we pick up Matthew's story right after that. And we're told that the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child with the Holy Spirit. Now Luke tells us that the angel had come to her and told her. Matthew doesn't tell us that. But we're told that she was found to be with child, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now here's what we have. So we have a, a young couple. We've got to think of them not in terms of all the artwork and all the... They're just a young couple. And when we think of them, we've got to realize that they're a young couple thinking about, about a season of dreams. I mean, Christmas, we often think of dreams. We think of, oh, I wish it to be this way, and we hope that our family's going to be, everyone's getting along, and it's going to be a wonderful meal, and we, we have dreams of what we may be able to give or what we can get. And, but when I think about season of dreams, the ultimate season of dreams isn't Christmas, it's your wedding. I mean, I, I know that even firsthand. This, in the next two weeks, I have a chance to be a part of of, of, uh, in a wedding of two of my family members. I have a sister and a niece that are both getting married in the next two weeks. And it's interesting, you know, we talk about all Christmas and neither of them are talking about Christmas. You know, they're, they're thinking about their wedding days. 
And, um, and the fact is, is when you think about that, that's this incredible season where you're thinking about all these new things that are happening, the high hopes of not only the wedding, but of this new love and this new life. And, and if you're young, you know, with children and all these dreams. And here you have Joseph. He's a young man. The, the time, people at that time were married younger than in our time. He was likely, they say, probably somewhere between 15 and 17. Mary was likely between 12 and 14. And so he had finished his apprenticeship. He, had, he was ready to now provide for a family. He was ready to begin his life. That He has dreams of a new family, of children, of establishing his own name in his community, of earning respect and reputation. And the Bible tells us that he was betrothed to this young woman, Mary. And again, she's probably 12 to 14. And what, we, we read this, and again, we read the word betrothed. We don't use that that often. The closest English equivalent is engaged, but they don't translate it engaged because betrothal was a whole lot more than our engagement. What would happen is the true families would get together and they would, you know, they would decide and agree to this wedding and the bridal price, and then they would get together and have a betrothal ceremony in front of, uh, in front of a lot of people. It was a public ceremony, and the bride and groom would each exchange vows. They would make a public commitment to the marriage. At that point, they would be considered married. And so that's why it says here in Matthew chapter 119 that Joseph was Mary's husband because they were considered married. They, but yet they're married. Now, the, the marriage feast has not been eaten. They're not sleeping together. The bed hasn't been enjoyed. They, there's a whole year that would pass in between their betrothal and the time that they actually celebrate the marriage ceremony and actually sleep together. But it was a time when they would prove their faithfulness by abstaining contact from each other and from others. They would prove that faithfulness and then come together and celebrate their marriage ceremony. And that's, so that's that period of time. And in that time, though, because it was considered actually as binding as marriage, if the woman was to be found with child, actually she would, she would, be, it would be an act of adultery. In fact, it talks about in the Old Testament that if a woman was found to be with child, that she could be stoned to death. That, that, would, be, that would be the actual thing that would be, you know, could be done or could be divorced. And, and so here they are to be betrothed to be married. Everyone knows about that. And suddenly we're told that Mary is found to be with child. And again, it doesn't say exactly how, but I think when you look at what's said in Luke, it seems like Mary doesn't hide it. The angel appears to her and then she goes and tells her parents, she tells Joseph what has happened. And what happens is nobody believes her. You know, you think about Joseph. He hears this news. He knows that he's not slept with Mary. This is this period that she's supposed to prove her faithfulness. And he's got all these dreams. They've got all these dreams here. And suddenly there's this incredible crisis. And you wonder what that, that conversation was like. You know, that, that he gets news that she's pregnant. And she comes to him and says, Mary, how could you do this? And she's like, Joseph, I've not slept with anyone. I'm still a virgin. An angel came to me and told me that God had chosen me to carry the Messiah and God has done a miracle in me in giving me this child while I'm a virgin. God sent an angel to me telling me that I'm blessed amongst women, that I, that I have this honor of, of carrying the Messiah, that I'm honored. And he's looking at her and saying, Mary, how could you say, that's blasphemy on top of your sin. How could you even say that? Come on, it's bad enough that you've cheated on me but now to add your sin by feeding me this wild story? God made you pregnant? Are you serious? You expect me to buy that? What are people going to say? 
Mary, you know, this disgrace, not only you disgrace me, what do you expect me to do? Don't you know the law, the Old Testament? says, I can have you stoned. But what we're told is that, that he instead considered, and he said wanted to divorce her quietly, which means that he was going to send her off. And that's, again, we looked at last week. We saw that Mary went to see her, her cousin, Elizabeth, her relative Elizabeth, 80 miles away, and that's probably what happened is that they had meant to send her off to another city where she would be forgotten and her shame would be forgotten. And he's struggling with this. In the midst of this struggle, the angel comes. Now we're going to look at what the angel says in a minute, but remember with all this, Nazareth is a small town. It's a couple hundred people. Everybody knows about the engagement. Everybody's heard about the pregnancy. Everyone's now giving Joseph an opinion about, you know, well, you should stone her, you should publicly disgrace her, you should do this. And we talk about Christmas in the candle of joy. When you read this story, was this a joyful event? Was this something that, you know, brought happiness and joy, great circumstances? Boy, it was a perfect Christmas for Mary and Joseph. Now, when the, the angels, we, Dave read, read a moment ago, the angel said, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. But it doesn't seem like this is good news of great joy for the people that are most involved. Now, some people might be thinking, why are you presenting such a negative picture? You know, I came in here hoping to be encouraged today, and I wanted to hear the positive news, and I wanted to, to walk away and think about this right great romantic story, and you're ruining it for me. And I want you to realize that a couple things. What the angel said is true, that this is good news of great joy. And it was for Mary and Joseph, it's for all the people, but the whole idea of what the good news and what joy is is something that is really different than what we often think as being joyful. We think of happiness, we think of circumstances, we think about, you know, if if God comes, he's going to bring these great circumstances, and that's not the promise of the Bible. See, the fact is, the blessings offered to us through the coming of Christ like the blessing that is offered here we're going to see in Mary and Joseph, was not what they were looking for, not what they would expect. His blessings are not the promise of health and wealth and prosperity. It's not, not, boy, if you follow me, your, your life's going to go well and you're going to have your best life and circumstances are going to be wonderful. I want to tell you, there are people, there are even pastors that claim to be Christians who will preach that message. You know, if you seek after God and if you do the right thing, then the promises of God are going to be he's going to give you prosperity and he's going to give you blessing and happy circumstances. And, and there are people that say that and it's a very popular message. And you have a lot of churches that are growing because people want to hear that message. But it's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. And we see that illustrated here in the Christmas story. Now, now I'm going to tell you that I think what the Bible teaches is a far better message than that. Because it speaks to the reality of life. But I want to tell you, if you came in looking for this promise that if you're going to do certain things, you're going to find the key to make everything life, when life work better. You know, you're going to find the, you know, the certain buttons of God to push and he's going to fix all your problems. That's what you're hoping to hear. That's not the message of the Bible. But if you're here today, here's the good news. If your life includes disappointments and struggles and frustration and, and sickness and confusion and brokenness and I want you to realize that, that the Bible's message isn't just an escape message for a little while that you can come and hear a good, happy story and feel better and kind of ignore your problems. No, the Bible's story is that, that God has entered into humanity and into the brokenness of real life. 
And there's some incredible truths with that. For starters, you're not alone. You know, when God took on human flesh, he chose to put himself into a story of brokenness. He chose to put himself into a story where not only where Mary and Joseph would be, you know, would be misunderstood, where even he, we see as an adult, that he is being accused of being basically, you know, a a child without a father. That he lived with this. The story of Christmas is that God knows, God understands because he's entered into the brokenness of humanity. There's a God who understands and knows and who cares about your life. And not only that, but what's incredible beyond that, it's a story that not only God understands, but he is Emmanuel. He came to be with us. It's not only that God came into our mess, but that he brings the power of deity into that mess. The story of Christmas is not that God has entered into the world of pain and brokenness to remove those realities, but he gives us a purpose and a peace and a joy and a love that is able to transcend the brokenness that we might experience. That it's something that transcends brokenness. See, part of it is understanding the miracle of Christmas. And you know, when we, and when we look at this, you know, the, the miracle is this. The miracle is that that, yes, Joseph was devastated by the news of her pregnancy. How could, you know, believe this wild story? And, but look what the angel said. Verse 20, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived of her is the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so what she was saying was true. That this, this, she wasn't sleeping. This was of God. This was a miracle. Not only that, he would be the Messiah. He would be Emmanuel. He would be God with us. And again, that means that he brought the power of deity into the world. And it doesn't mean that he's going to come and remove the world from us, but it means that he comes and he brings meaning and significance and joy and and things that transcend circumstances. And he brings something that, you know, that, that transcends the problems. And the greatest problem of all is that we were separated from God, that we have a a relationship that we were created for to be at the core of our being. we're, We're broken because of our sin. And why did he come? You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people for his sins. That he, will, that he will bring salvation. He will bring forgiveness. He will bring restoration of relationship with God that will, that will suddenly start to fix every aspect of life in ways that, that transcend circumstances. Now, when you hear that, you might think, well, you know, the angel came and told him what to do. He should, of course, marry, you know, that was an easy decision. You know, the angel said, go and do this. But I want you to realize there was a decision to be made. I don't think it was something that the angel came and Joseph got up that next day and it's like, oh yeah, God told me, I know it's now. No, I I think it was still a hard decision. Look what the angel says. Look what he says again. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. The, The idea is, you know, don't hesitate to do this because of fear. And we've got to realize that God said, okay, realize this is of God. Realize that this, this is God's child. Now go ahead and do it. But you've got to realize, why would he be fearful? Because he had a reason to be afraid. Because God told him again, like he did told Mary, that this is God's child. But he didn't tell him, here's how I'm going to work everything out. Here I'm going to explain everything. In fact, what you've got to remember is that, you know, this is a small town. Everyone heard that Joseph is pregnant, or that Mary is pregnant. 
Yeah, that would be a really big miracle, right? It's just, everyone heard that Mary is pregnant. And they're going to look at that and they're going to say, either Mary and Joseph have broke their pledge and been unfaithful to God, in both case they both bear the shame, or she's conceived this child immorally, and Joseph is compromising himself by taking an immoral woman who has proved unfaithful. Now, he's publicly declared himself innocent, so everyone's going to look at this and they're going to say, no, he's now joining this immoral woman. Now, realize this, is that, is that he's already seen how people have responded to Mary, including himself. He didn't believe Mary at first. And so he's looking at that and saying, if I choose to do this, what I'm choosing to do is that I'm choosing to identify with Mary and her shame. I've seen how people have rejected Mary, and why do I think that if I now associate with Mary and take her as my wife, and now take this child as one that I will raise, why do I think anybody's going to believe me? The fact is that he knew who Jesus was, but there was a choice that was forced upon him, and a choice that he saw the consequences There was a lot of reason to hesitate. There was a lot of reason to have fear. Again, God didn't say that he would work out all the details. In fact, let's look at this and let's see how this worked out. Let me ask you a real question. How do you think this worked out? How do you think this practically worked out in the life of his family? How do you think his family responded when Joseph chose to marry this woman who suddenly found to be with child? I'm going to tell you, there's some really clear hints. There's some things in this story that that we often don't see, but we're going to see they're hiding in plain sight. One of the things that I'll just introduce is in Luke 2.7, it says that they laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The Greek word translated inn could mean inn, but elsewhere in the New Testament, whenever it's used in the New Testament, it always means something different. In fact, there's another word that's used for N elsewhere in the New Testament. In the New Testament, it always means upper room or guest room. When it says that Jesus ate in the upper room, it was this word that was used, the Last Supper. It's always used everywhere else as upper room or guest room. In the Middle East, what would happen is you would have generally one-story houses with flat roof. And that, you know, the upstairs could be used for storage, it could be used for, uh, you know, for sleeping on hot, you know, hot days. Sometimes people would build an upper room there. They would reinforce it, they would build a second story, and that would usually be used as a guest room. Now keep that in mind as we go back and look at this. I want you to see these hints that are right here. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 2. Let me t- take you there. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cornelius was a governor of Syria. So, so we're told that, they're, that they're, you know, they're called somewhere for this census. Now, why is it that they go to Bethlehem? Look carefully what it says. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth to Judea and the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David. Now, why did he go to Bethlehem? Because that's where he was from. That's where his family was from. Implied, that's where his family was living. That he's going back to his hometown. I mean, I, you know, I lived in Florida and South Carolina. I'd come back to Ohio. That's where my family was from. That's where I was born. He's going to where his family was from. And you have to ask, okay, now here you have this young man just got married. His wife's pregnant. And he's going, he's got to go to Bethlehem, and where would you expect him to go, especially in that culture that puts such a high emphasis on family and hospitality? Of course, he goes to his family. 
There's family that's going to be there, and they're going to have a guest room, and you would expect, I don't know if it's his parents or not, but certainly there's aunt and uncles, and you would expect them to go there, and you would expect them to be given a room. Now look at what it says again in verse 7. And he gave, she gave birth to the firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end or the guest room. It doesn't say there was no room. It doesn't say it was full. It says there was no place, meaning there was a place that he was expecting to go and find, a, find, find lodging, and he got there, and they basically said, no, we don't, we don't have place for you. It could have been full, or it could have just been saying, you know, basically... You know, news got out. Maybe it's mom, dad, maybe it's aunt. And, you know, they're coming and they're saying, I'm not having this girl in my house. <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, I don't know anyone how could believe that, that angel story. And you, when you married her, you brought disgrace to this whole family. And we don't want to be associated with her or you or any of the decisions that you've made. You know, we even asked that poll. It was interesting, you know, why did they have to stay? And let's see what the results were. And I think that most of us were told that there was no room in the end. Let's see if, you know, what you said on the, uh, on the poll. I'm sure it's going to get up here. You know, yep, most people, you know, you look at that, B, God, God had brought so many travelers and the, the end was already full. That's what most people had said. And we look at that and we say, that's the majority answer. That's what we've been told. And the thing is, we read it with this simplistic perspective, and then when you dive into it, you suddenly find there are hints that are hiding there right in plain sight. And what we've got to realize is that Joseph, I think, knew this was going to happen. He saw Mary already being rejected. And when he starts to say, well, I'm going to go out and marry her. God told me this dream. No one believed her, his, her dream. No one believed his dream. And almost certainly, when you read the whole story, it's almost certain that it's not that there was no room in an inn that they could rent. It's, it's that he wasn't welcome in the, in the guest room of the family that he was expecting to be welcomed in. He was rejected. And you've got to realize that he knew when he came in and, and the angel says, okay, Mary, go ahead and marry her. Marry Mary. You know, this is child is, is of God. He had a choice. And his choice was basically, I can either welcome the Christ child into my life or I can have a nice, tidy life. I can welcome the Christ child into my life or I can try to protect all my dreams and my reputation. You know, if I'm going to accept the Christ child, it comes with courage. It comes with, there's a lot of dreams that are going to die. And we've got to realize that in many ways that the same choice is true for all of us. When we come and we've got to ask, okay, how am I going to respond? If we can go to the next slide, how am I going to respond? Like Joseph, we can either have the Christ child or we can protect our dreams. We've got to realize that when Jesus Christ comes down in my life, he doesn't come in a tidy way, but he creates disruption. That he comes and, and the, the question is, what are we going to do? The incarnation is that God coming in human history and he's saying, okay, now are you going to accept me not only as the Savior but as God? And if you accept me as God, that means that I'm going to be put in charge and I'm not going to make everything work. You know, it's not going to be, okay, how do I make your dreams work out? It's, okay, how do I work in your life in a way that is consistent with, with my role as God? If we can go back to the, to the slides. I'll switch back. What's extremely clear here is that Joseph had an enormous risk. That he was choosing the path of following God and he was putting at risk his, his dreams, his plans. And it's still true for us. You know, we, we come into life and we think that we have this path and, you know, that, you know, the one that makes sense for us and what our ideas and what, you know, what, what we thought, our plan, our dream. When God calls us to follow in him, it means that we leave something of our old life. It means that we give up control. 
and that we say, okay, God, are we going to trust you? Are we going to realize that, that my deepest need isn't, you know, okay, how am I going to be wealthy, and how am I going to be healthy, and how do I get this, and how do I get this relationship, and how do I... Well, my deepest need is that I need a relationship with, with you. And that comes through what Christ came to provide. That it says in Matthew 121, she will give birth to a son and you are to call, give him the name Jesus because he will save his people for his sins. I, th- I think it's not, not, if you could forward the next slide, it's thank you. Um, the thing is what we've got to realize is that the, the root problem for, for Joseph and for all of us why is it hard for us to really embrace Christ? It's because of fear. Again, look at verse 20. Look at what the angel said. As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now, he came and he brought some new information. The new information is, Joseph, what she told you is true. This, she is a virgin. The child is a miracle of God. And, and, you know, this miracle, you know, she's not going to be like any other child. He is Emmanuel. He'll save his people from her sins. That is God with you. But there's also a challenge. That's the truth. That's the information. But the challenge is don't fear. And why is it that he would fear? It's not only because of the rejection of the people. You know why ultimately he would fear? Why we fear? Why we have a hard time accepting Christ? Because we fear if we truly embrace Christ, what he's going to take away, how he's going to change our life. You see, there are things that we maybe know are wrong, but we think we need them to be happy. And if I really put Christ in charge of my life, what if, he, what if he tells me to have to change? Am I giving up life? Am I giving up control? We, we fear that if we accept him as Savior and as Lord, we're surrendering ultimate authority in our lives. And deep down, we don't trust him. That's what it comes down to. We don't trust God. If I give God control, you know, God didn't, does he, yeah, I know the Bible worked in another culture, but biblical morality, it doesn't work in today's culture. How could I live that? I, that's not the best way to be happy. And, or we fear that God really isn't good. If we give him control, you know, he's going to take everything away that's good in my life. He's going to send me on a mission field and be miserable. And we fear God because we doubt his goodness. We doubt his love. And we, therefore, we doubt putting our lives into control. What we need is faith. See, it's a faith in the nature of God. You know what it says in Hebrews? In Hebrews chapter 11, it defines faith. And look at how it defines faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. What is faith? Number one, believing that there is a God. Believing there is a God that is sovereign over all, that is our creator, that knows better than we do. And number two, believing he's good. Believing that if you follow him, that he will reward you. That if you seek after him, that it will be a path of blessing. If you surrender your life to him, then yes, he may take some things away because he's going to take away control, but he's going to give you a whole lot more than he would ever take away. Do you believe that? See, that's what Jesus talked about. Look at what Jesus said. Without this faith, it's impossible to please him. Without this kind of faith, it's impossible to have a relationship with God. Look at how Jesus explained the same idea. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's the same idea. It's saying, you want to know what it means to believe? It means that I have more faith in God than I do in myself. I'm more confident in God's promises that he will do a better job running my life than I'm confident myself. 
And so there's a fear in there. There is a fear in really saying, God, I agree with you. I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me. I give you control. Because what is God going to do? And my friends, we don't do it because we fear that God is good. And that's what the challenge for each one of you. If you don't have a relationship with God, I want you to realize that the story of Christmas is that God has come down and is pursuing a relationship with you. That Jesus Christ is God come incarnate because God wants a relationship with you. He wants to take the sin that would remove, you know, that hinders relationship with him and to forgive it through what Jesus Christ did at the cross. What an incredible, God loves you, God values you. What an incredible story. But you believe him. See, because there's a connection between fear and faith. And if you don't have faith, it's because you fear him. You don't trust that he's good. You think you know better than he does. Do you understand that God loves you so much that he gave his son to die for you on the cross? Romans says, if God gave you his son when we were his enemies, if he, if he gave you a son, how can you not trust him to give you things that cost him nothing? Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that? Do you trust that? And there may be some here that you have hesitated to pursue a relationship with God, and deep down the root is because you fear him. You doubt him. You fear whether he's good. We haven't called it that, but the fact is you don't want to surrender that control because you, you think that you're going to do a better job than he will. I want you to realize that today God calls you to relationship with him, and I will tell you it is not safe. It's, it's not a story of you do this and everything's going to work out great. No, it's not. There are going to be times that following Christ will make life more difficult. But I'll tell you that it is a story of great joy and peace and blessing. It's a story of significance of life. It's a story that life makes life better, not in the circumstances, but in spiritual realities that transcend the circumstances you have that relationship with God, suddenly you'll find that there will be new meaning and significance to all the things in life, even the things that are broken. Have you ever trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? See, really, when we look at this, it's a question that we have to say, how do we make this personal? There's a personal sense. There's a faith that comes with Christmas. And we can look at this and we say, I'm never going to have to deal with what Joseph dealt with. I mean, that's, that's a really interesting story about what he did. You know, but the fact is, God's never going to show up and ask me to do anything like that. Well, yeah, he's never going to put us in Joseph's shoes. Our circumstances are different. He's never going to you know, say, well, go ahead and, and marry this. You know, he's not going to do that. But the question isn't what we would do in that setting if God called us to do something then. The question is, in our current setting, how will we respond when God calls us to do something that we don't fully understand, that seems difficult or seems even costly in the short run? And there are many people that go through that, even like, God, you know, you know something's wrong in life. You know that it's an area that God's saying, I want you to surrender this. I want you to follow me. But God, I don't understand. And if I do this, you know, I'm taking a risk. And what might happen in this relationship? And what might happen here? And, and, and there might be a cost. And well, I want you to realize that God's calling you. This principle is the same as what he called Joseph to. Do you believe he's good? Do you believe he's God? Are you willing to embrace him as Savior and as Lord? Are you willing to say, God, if I do this, would I recognize that, that Jesus came and he will save me from my sins? And what is that sin? It's ultimately the deepest sin and more is, God, I've rejected you as, as God. 
And so the story of Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us. And it's not only that God is with us here in the experience of humanity and of life, it's, no, is God with you? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you know him personally? And I hope and pray that this Christmas will be a Christmas that it's not just that you know about what God did then, but that God will meet you today. That it will be Emmanuel, God with me because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did that Christmas season. There may be some here today who've never done that before, and this might be the Sunday where you just, where you're at, pray a prayer or something like, God, I agree with you, I'm a sinner, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross to forgive my sins. I ask you to forgive me. I give you the right to be Savior and Lord of my life and, and help me, help me to, to learn in the days to follow what that actually means. Joseph didn't know what it all meant, but he jumped in and he said, God, I believe you because I believe you're good. I trust you. Are you willing to do that today? Brothers, you've done that in the past. You have areas that you've pulled back from God. Are you willing to trust him today? Are you willing to say, God, I don't understand. I'm afraid of what I might lose, but, but God, I surrender to you. I want to promise you that, that his path is one of, it is true good news of great joy for all the people. Thanks for joining us. If you have any questions about what we talked about, Jesus Christ, our church, or anything else, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or by email. We'd love to hear from you.